And then that night, you know, my mom was driving me back to the train station. And when I was just sitting in the car, yeah. in the quiet of it, I broke down again. <laughs> she was like, what's what's wrong? Are you okay? And I was like, everyone is so happy. It didn't occur to me. Mm. That's what I was missing. Like if I hadn't been adopted, I would have been a part of that big close-knit family. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. All right. So this week's episode is a continuation from last week's episode and that is why the intro is a little bit different today if you haven't or if you're not already caught up on part one of my conversation with Matt then I would pause now and go back and listen to the first half of his story it's a really cool and unique adoption story one that you don't typically hear uh, when discussing adoption and then come back and listen to part two, where you get to hear the ending of Matt's story and what Matt is currently working on in his own life right now in connection with his adoption and his experience living with and spending time with his birth family. Okay, enough of me talking. Here is part two. It was, pos- it was always a possibility, as you said, but how did you feel when it was confirmed that, you know, essentially in some ways you were this big secret and, you know, nobody, and your existence and birth, you know, was unknown to not only people that you're genetically related to, but just kind of like, you know how in America there's like, there's always this tone and this stigma when you say like, oh, you're the youngest kid by like five years, you were <laughs> clearly an accident you yeah. know, or something like that. and how did that feel for you? Not necessarily being an accident, but being a secret where had it been revealed, you know, it kind of would have led to bad. Well, on the one hand, you know, when I was going through my angry and rebellious teenage years, I was like, ha ha, I was an accident. So I had already, I had already made peace with that. <laughs> but then I could at least be like, well, okay. my parents okay. actually wanted me because they bought yeah. me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Looks both ways about it. That's wow. just the kind of person I am. But when it started becoming more yeah. and more apparent to me that my adoption was the result of forces completely out of our control, I felt sad and I right. felt angry, actually. I felt very angry yeah. at the society that put my mother in that circumstance and had to make her choose between keeping me or suffering. We could have been yeah. disowned if my grandfather had found out. That's oh, the reality in Korean wow. society, you know? incredible shame to your entire family if that happened and if word of that got out so that made me very angry to be honest but it made me very sad for my my birth mother as i heard more and more of the story because it sounded like it was so hard Mm. but so she said she got pregnant with me and hid it for months she didn't tell anyone but she was closest or not closest She's very close with all her sisters, but she knew she could count on her oldest sister. She's the third. She's the third of 
the four mm. girls. Okay. To this day, they're miraculously close. It's hysterical. But she knew she could count on her biggest sister. So about a month before I was born, she got her older sister and was like, I need your help. I am very pregnant and I don't know what to do. And she was like, okay, let's take care of this. So they went to the local adoption agency and arranged to put me up for adoption. And this is where mm -hmm. things start to make a little more sense. She said that she yeah. said, if I had known it was going to be like this, I would have tried to do something different. You know, when we were filling out the paperwork, they just rushed us through it. We didn't even really get a chance to read the paperwork and they wouldn't explain anything to us. And then on the day of your delivery, they took you out of the room before I even saw you. Oh, I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> and she said, there was the screen up, you know, the adopt, like the birthing curtain or whatever. Yeah. And she said, mm -hmm. all I heard was you're crying. And then they took you out of the room and I didn't even yeah. get to hold you or look at you. God, and that is heartbreaking. That, that, that is... really hurt me to hear. I mean, Oof. I was like, you didn't even, yeah. she's like, I, they wouldn't even tell me if you were a boy or a girl. They just told me that you were healthy. <gasps> oh. And then my mm -hmm. oldest aunt kept trying to go back to the agency to be like, can we see him? Like, let us see the child. And they were like, no, if you see the child, you'll, you might want them back obviously and right. that law has been changed for korean adoption law now but they wouldn't let either of them see me they wouldn't give them any more information my aunt was like maybe it's a girl maybe they won't go far maybe they'll just go to like china or japan and my mom was like it's a boy and he's going to go to america i know it she just oh, knew wow yep she, and she was right so she said over the years it was really hard for me because your aunt had her son about two years after you were born. And I knew he was about yeah. the age you would have been and that you two would have been close. And it was hard for me to watch my older sister raise her son who looked like he would be about your age. And every time I saw a little boy, I would think of you and wonder how you were doing and wonder where you were. Oh my. And yeah. And like, that is such a, I feel like when we're children, you know, and obvious for very obviously good reason, you know, that those kinds of thoughts and that sort of perspective is so heavy and to carry and to know and to be never crossed my mind. <laughs> I thought maybe maybe she was thinking about me, but I didn't think like, yeah. oh, my God, this stuff was heartbreaking to hear, to be honest, like, and she was like saying, I always had to wow. keep this secret in my heart and wonder and, and she was like i even get a stomach ache oh. every time of year like around your birthday she's like that's just a mom <laughs> thing though my stomach hurts in september when your sister was born and february when your brother was born and i get an extra oh. big stomach ache because you and your littlest sister are two days apart but yeah the sibling thing that hit hard my little siblings yeah. continue to break my heart every time that I get a new picture of them because <laughs> they're all smack in the middle of puberty. Well, my little mm. sister, she's now on the cusp of adulthood in Korea. She's going to be 19 this year <sighs> and she's looking at colleges. You know, my yeah. little brother is an yeah. angsty video game obsessed high schooler, which is exactly what I was. And my, my littlest sister, she's, I think, 
about 13 years old and she wow. has gotten at least a foot taller since I last saw her a year ago, which <laughs> yeah. is just messing me up in ways that I did not know were possible because yeah. I'm not only, you know, it's just me and my sister. Oh. We are the super youngest of our family because our parents were kind of older, youngest by a lot in our family. I think the closest wow. cousin to okay. Asian me with me is like 10 years. Yeah. And so my sister's like a little closer because she's older than me, but to no fault mm -hmm. of my parents or anything, we were just mm -hmm. kind of the black sheep. Mm -hmm. Everyone had already, mm -hmm. everyone had already grown up and they were starting their families, yeah. like our cousins, when we were little, like my yeah. sister and I were the little kids at like everyone else's weddings. And I think I'm yeah. closer in age mm -hmm. to my cousin's children than I am with my cousins. To really hammer it into perspective, my oldest aunt on my mom's side, right? her daughter, so like my oldest cousin, my birth mother. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so the sibling things, right. yeah, that kind of got to me because I was like, holy shit, I'm the oldest brother. That's yes. like, that is a complete flip from being the youngest brother. I'm also the oldest cousin in Korea, wow. and I'm the youngest, youngest cousin in the U.S. Yeah. So basically to like fast forward through a bit more of the story, I ended up biting off a lot more than uh -huh. I could chew or I got a lot more than I expected really. So yeah, I met, I met my birth mother. Then two days after I met yes, my birth mother, right. I met oh, my wow. oldest aunt, the one who knew about me. And then, so in, in yeah. this kind of information revealing session with my, my birth mother, she was like, so, you know, your aunt knew about you. Uh huh. Your grandma mm. had a suspicion <laughs> because grandmas know this stuff when their daughters are up to stuff. And okay. my birth mother and my grandma never spoke to yeah. each other about it face to face. They would, they just couldn't, they couldn't admit it. They couldn't acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. But my grandma mm -hmm. sussed it out from my oldest aunt after I was born and already surrendered for adoption. Mm. And so she kind of knew. So the secret right. was between my grandma, my birth mother, and my aunt. And, you know, sometimes my birth mother and my aunt would talk about me and my aunt would be like, you know, you've got your full life here with your husband and your children. You just need to mm -hmm. like try to move on and, and like forget about it if you can. And, you know, like my birth mother said, obviously she can't do that. And then my aunt would talk to my grandma about it. My grandma would be like, mm -hmm. have you been able to find anything out about the baby? Like wow. even years later, they would occasionally talk about it and it'd be like, well, no. So after I met my aunt, then my birth mother was like, do you want to meet your other aunts and your <laughs> grandma? And I was like, uh, okay. So I took the train back down and met <laughs> with my birth mother on the train platform. And she was like, are you ready? And I was like, I guess so. And also this time, the person I was usually traveling around with right. was not oh, with God. me. So I was flying solo with my caveman Korean. So then we went out to the car in the parking lot. And <laughs> my grandma was flanked by my two other aunts. Of, oh, my God. I, before I even got oh. there, they were all crying. Like as I was <laughs> as I was walking up to them. I don't know if you've noticed this about Asian culture, but like, you know how in the yeah. U.S., if you're like crying, you're like trying to not yeah. make a big deal out of it. And people are like, oh, yeah, shh, like, don't okay. cause a scene. Like, okay. Yeah. Pull yourself together kind of thing. Yeah. In Asia, people wow. just cry. That's their business. You just let them do it. No big deal. Oh. And like they wail and sob. <laughs> so, you know, my grandma 
you know, just I walk up to her and she's already in tears. And then she just starts putting her hands yeah. on my shoulders and like, like squeezing my arms and she's crying. And she's like, just saying like, too skinny. <laughs> oh, wonderful baby. Why are you yeah. so skinny? Like, and she just keeps touching my face. And now she's just wailing and like sobbing. Mm. She just, I don't think she let go of me for like five minutes. She was just like hugging mm -hmm. me and then like putting her arms, my, my, her like hands back on my arms and then crying more. <laughs> and then each of my aunts took a turn doing that. <laughs> so then me, my birth mother, my three aunts and my grandma all piled into my birth mother's car, a hundred percent illegally. And they drove us to like the middle of town where there were some clothing stores and each aunt and my grandma wanted to buy me another article of clothing. Cause they were like, this shirt looks too thin. You must be cold. You need thicker pants. Can we buy you new sneakers? And I'm like, oh my God, please stop. I don't like receiving gifts. But so then they each took a turn buying me clothes mm -hmm. and they took me to eat dinner and bought way too much food. And then this was funny. They were like, mm -hmm. my second mm -hmm. aunt, who's kind of like, she was the troublemaker child, according to my grandma. <laughs> She's like, hey, nephew, do you drink? And I was like, how do I answer this question? If I'm like, uh, yeah, they'll be like, oh, yeah. he drinks. Or if I'm like, no, they'll be like, oh, why doesn't he drink? So I was like, I enjoy drinking. And then my, my aunt just like slams a fist on the table. And she's oh like, good. My God, if you're one of us, hilarious. you can drink. So they ordered a whole bunch of beer and like soju, yeah. like, you know, Korean rice, like alcohol. And basically so much food and alcohol. And then they were like, all right, so we're going to stay in a family style hotel room for the night which is just like a big square room with like blankets that you lay out on and you mm -hmm. just sit around and eat and drink and talk. So that's what we did. I think we stayed up until 3 a.m. just drinking and wow. sharing stories and having snacks and, yeah. you know, oh my everyone kind of taking turns to cry some more. Now I've effectively met three mm -hmm. aunts, my birth brother and my grandma and a cousin. And at some point, it occurred to me, yeah, <laughs> like how many more people am I going to meet? I didn't expect any of this because I expected maybe mm -hmm. two to four, if I was lucky, meetings with my birth mother. But I didn't realize that she had arranged like a lot of time off to spend with me. And then, so one day later, mm -hmm. I was back with all four of the sisters and my grandmother, like you know, my mom, <laughs> her three sisters, and my grandmother, and they were taking me mm -hmm. to a mall again to. You know, they, they wanted to buy me more clothes and I'm trying on sneakers with my aunt and all of a sudden my mom gets a phone call and it's like my little sister. And I guess the conversation went something like this, like, Hey, what are your, what are you guys doing? And my mom was like, Oh, I'm at the mall with your aunts. And my little sister was like, Oh, I'm on the bus. We're actually going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to be at that mall in like a minute. I'll just get <laughs> off and like join you guys. Oh, no. <laughs> and my mom was like, uh, because she had asked me, she was like, you know, privately, she'd asked me, yeah. you must be curious about your siblings. And I was like, well, yes, of course. And she's like, do you want to meet them? And I was like, yes, right. but I also totally understand if I can't. And I'm yeah. not expecting to because I know this must be really complicated for you. And she's like, I know. And I'm sorry. Yeah. But I'd like for you to meet them, but it might be right. hard. And her, their father. Because they're husband. still young and everything. Yeah. So we'd already had this conversation. Yes. So we'd had this conversation. And now all of a sudden, uh-oh, <laughs> my little sister is coming to surprise us at the mall. 
So really quickly, my oldest aunt and my mom <laughs> put together this story. This is a boy from America. He is Korean, but he was adopted and raised in America. Through my mom's company, my mom and the aunts and my grandma have been sponsoring my trip yes. back to Korea. And they're a sponsor Genius. family. They're a host Genius. family. <laughs> and so that's why he's going to call me mom. That's why he's going to call your aunt's aunt. That's why he's calling grandma grandma. Uh -huh. Yep. So my, you know, my 17 year old at the time, <laughs> little sister was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> so she was cool with it. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, that's my little sister right there. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just trying not to like lose my freaking mind. And then after that, I guess my birth mother was like, uh, screw it. So she didn't tell me. A couple days later, she arranged a trip to like the countryside. And we met my aunts and my grandma there. Mm. And then out of my aunt's car pops my littlest sister. And I was like, what? Yeah. And I was like, you didn't tell me this. And she was like, surprise. And I'll be honest, my littlest sister completely makes my heart melt. She's adorable. Aww. And she was, I think she was like probably 11 or 12 at the time. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, just this, this cute little awkward little Ugh. nugget. And she's also a, wow. a doppelganger of my mom, like a dead ringer. Mm -hmm. It's really funny. But so then we were walking around like this countryside village together. And then after that, she's like, okay, we're going to go to mom's house now. And I was like, what? And she took me back to her apartment where she lives with, you know, my grandparents okay. and my siblings were there. And I didn't know this. Her oh. and her, my youngest aunt are like next door neighbors. Oh. So my youngest aunt's kids were also there. Wow. So I walked into a bustling house with grandma, three of my little siblings and three little wow. cousins. All for the first time. All there. And we like, huh? Yep. And I like met my little brother and they were not being subtle about this. They kept making me stand <laughs> next to the boys and like they just kept staring back and forth at us like, oh, because oh. like my youngest aunt has two sons and a daughter. And that's when I processed the cousin thing. I was like, wait a minute. My siblings and I were half siblings. Uh -huh. And in Korea, they don't even say half sibling. They just say sibling, but whatever. But to me, I'm like, still, you know, we're, we're half siblings. Yeah. There's always going to be that little thing maybe there but then i was like cousins right this relationship is completely untouched this yeah. is exactly what it would be no matter what and yeah then as i said you know my sister and i were kind of the black sheep this was the closest oh warmest God. most tight-knit little house i've ever walked into so they are best friends and like school buddies wow. and just hanging out having a great time playing with each other and, you know, we've got my little four-year-old cousin stomping through the house screaming and every, every cousin like takes a turn picking her up and like bouncing her. And it was mm -hmm. honestly just too much for me to handle and like process. Right. Because I was just like, this is not the environment I'm used to. Again, nothing against my family. But when I had friends growing up who were like, yeah. oh, this is my cousin. We're like best friends. I'm like, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> and this was just so weird. I was like, are all Korean families like this? And then my uncle later, he was like, <laughs> even among Korean families, we're pretty exceptional. All of the husbands get along with each other. 
the sisters are best friends. We all eat at each other's houses all the time and watch our children together. And they're just a big, fun, loving family. And I was like, this is insane. And then that night, you know, my mom was driving me back to the train station. And when I was just sitting in the car, like in the quiet of it, I just broke down again. And (laughs) she was like, what's, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I was like, Oh, wow. Everyone is so happy. It just didn't occur to me. Like, that's what I was missing. Like if I hadn't been adopted, I would have been a part of that, that big close knit family that. Wow. Isn't it such a crazy experience to like, I don't know, like miss a life that you didn't have. Like that is so, that's so, that's just so complicated. It's so complex. It's that has been the hardest part of that, of this knowing exactly what I've been missing out on. And that has been oh a real God, grieving process, to be honest, because mm. every time I come back from Korea, I am monumentously sad wow. for like months afterwards <laughs> because they are so close and so warm. They didn't even skip a beat to welcome mm-hmm. me. Even the kids who think I'm just like this weird mm-hmm. dude want to be my best friend every time I'm there. My youngest aunt's two sons think I'm the coolest guy ever. Yeah. They just they just like climb all over me when I'm hanging out with them. Yeah. And they want to like wrestle and play video games together. And it's it's kind of it's just kind of heartbreaking to know that's exactly it. No more wondering. Wow. That's Holy exactly shit. yeah, it. no more wondering. Okay. Today's sponsor would be Warby Parker. Now, funny enough, and I did not plan this, I promise, earlier this afternoon, I ordered new glasses through Warby Parker. Especially in COVID, it's been hard for me to get to the eye doctor or, you know, really any doctor for that matter. So when my dogs totally stepped on my glasses and made them almost impossible to wear, I didn't really know what to do because I didn't have an updated eye prescription. The last one I had was from 2019, so it was two years old. I was worried that I'd have to go in to my eye doctor's office and kind of, you know, unnecessarily expose myself to the virus. But thanks to Warby Parker, I didn't have to. I don't know if this has always been a feature of theirs, but I went on their website and they had this prescription exam where if you'd had a prescription and you'd used Warby Parker within the past five years, then you could do this like prescription check, which does not replace going to a real eye doctor. But because your old prescription would have been close enough you can just do a quick little, you know, visual eye chart, letter letter chart. And depending on how you manage in that exam, they renew your prescription. So because mine was only two years old and already in their system, I did it. It took like 15 minutes and I only had to wait 24 hours. The next day I had an email saying that I was good to go, 
my old prescription was good enough to renew, saving me the hassle of needing to go into an actual eye doctor's office and order glasses and, you know, wait a week or whatever. So I was really excited. I did their home try-on haul, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically you can choose up to five frames that get sent to your house totally for free and you can try them on. It's just, you know, like a piece of clear plastic in the glasses in place of where your prescriptive lens would go. And you can try different styles and different shapes. And if you find one that you like, you send them back. They give you a return label. So it's completely free, the whole thing. And then you go online and you find the glasses that you liked and you can order them right then and there from the website. So earlier this afternoon, that is exactly what I did. And it's funny how glasses have become such a fashion statement over time. I mean, it makes sense. It's If you're someone like me who wears their glasses 24-7, then it's like literally on the front of your face. And like fashion trends, glasses styles can be cyclical. So my pair that I'm using now, soon to be my old pair, are, you know, basically like a clear frame. And the ones that I had before that were darker tortoise. And then the ones I ordered now, my soon-to-be new glasses, are going back to a darker shade of brown. So there's that. If you are a glasses wearer in any sort of regular fashion and are interested in trying them out, they're really good. They start at a really low price of $95. And depending on whether you do single vision lenses or you need them to be able to change between nearsighted and farsighted glasses. I also always add, well, I'm single vision, but I also always add make mine transition lenses so that I don't have to have a separate pair of prescription sunglasses. You can do that as well. It's just really cool. There are really cool features. They're a cool company. There's actually, I know I mentioned this in my last ad slot, there's an episode of How I Built This on Warby Parker as well. So if you're interested, you should go check that out. But yeah, super great company, really great glasses. I highly recommend them. Okay, back to the episode. That was all in one winter. Then I went back the next summer because oh my God. they actually paid for me to come back. They were like, when I was leaving that winter, all the ants were like, see you yeah. in the summer. And I was like, what? I'll try. And then they slipped me an envelope oh as I was leaving God. with enough money for airfare to come back. So that yeah. summer, I what went back for gesture, six What an amazing gesture, though. Weeks. Like, that is, like, to come from yeah. just wondering your whole life, like, were you wanted, to then be, like, faced with this gesture of not only do we want to, like, not only are we so happy to see you, but we want to see you again. Yeah. And then, so I went back that summer. Mm -hmm. And I stayed in Seoul again for three weeks. But I was taking the train like mm -hmm. most days of the week to just go down and see them and hang out with them. And I settled into a routine. Then after that three weeks was up, I went to their town and I stayed in like a mm -hmm. little room just on the other like 10 minutes from their house. Just mm -hmm. so you know, I'd have a place to get my stuff and they wanted me to be comfortable. But I slept in my mom's apartment like I wow. would say a majority of those three weeks. So I was living, eating, and sleeping at my mom's house like most of the time. 
some days I would go walk over to my aunt's mm. like dry cleaning store and hang out with her and like study. She introduced me to her mm-hmm. two kids. Got it. Yeah. She has the oldest children and mm-hmm. they are very close in age to me. So she was like, you know what? Wow. Hey guys, Just this like is that. your cousin. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're going to be like, they're, they're 24 yeah. and 22. They can know. So I wow. had lunch and met my cousins who yeah. <laughs> are, they're cool. I like my, they're, they're really cool. One of them, he works at my uncle's tonkatsu shop and he's, <laughs> he's the, he was the oldest boy. <laughs> and, you know, he's, you know, sure. kind of the yeah. spoiled oldest boy of the family, uh-huh. lives in his own place, has a girlfriend he's really into. And then his younger sister is like, She's really cool. She goes to Korea University. She's really smart. She tutors all of the other kids in the family. And she's, she's, they call her a scary teacher because Uh she's strict with making them study. But that summer, I think we just took a lot of walks together, Mm -hmm. hung out around the house, played board games, played card games, drank beer. Like it was a, Weird experience just yeah. was living it, with did my you family. Experience for three weeks. like any type of I'm gonna make like a corny reference here, like sort of like an avatar sensation where all of a sudden, like not the, the not the fake world, but the world that was kind of supposed not supposed to turn into kind of not supposed to go anywhere becomes like the reality and then the original life is like the dream like i could just imagine when you're there in the thick of it in those interactions in the day-to-day in your new routine like surrounded by this new family it could get kind of i don't know like blurred maybe i guess i'm asking it felt like a dream i mean that's what i say every time i go back to korea now it just feels like a dream when i'm there and you know, you talked a little bit about reclaiming your identity. So I've, right. I've actually been doing a lot of work to reclaim my Korean identity. Like I've been learning Korean. I took a class at Hopkins on Korean history. I took a language class. Mm. Like I managed mm. to sneak my way into an advanced language class. That was hard. I've been watching K-dramas. I've been writing my doctorate stuff mm-hmm. about K-pop and traditional Korean music. Wow. I'm learning a Korean instrument. And I've embraced my culture again as much as I can. And I, when I tell people now, I place real emphasis on the reclamation process. I worked hard for this because I didn't just have it. So when I'm in Korea, I'm not Matt because no one calls me that. It, it also just doesn't work in Korean, like as a word or a name. When I'm in Korea, I'm, I'm Jihoon mm-hmm. and like Jihoon is very different from Matt because mm. he's very yes, quiet. Right. He can't talk too much. <laughs> My sense of humor is a bit muted in Korea because not yes. only can I not make the jokes, I don't know what kind of jokes to make. When I'm in Korea, I am an older brother and the oldest boy in a family. I don't know where I'm going half the time, but I feel like it's just a completely different life when I'm there. And I think the weirdest thing was when I realized that I was just in a day to day, Mm -hmm. like I wasn't doing anything after the first couple of weeks, you know, I was doing stuff like going places and seeing sites and like doing touristy things again. 
But then it was like, oh, what are we doing today? Oh, not much. We might go to like a restaurant later mm-hmm. in the afternoon, go for a walk, go bowling. But, you know, I would, my daily routine was basically wake up on the couch whenever I felt like it, go Mm -hmm. get some hot water and make some instant coffee mix. Then my grandma would generally like hear me stirring around in the living room and she'd come out and get me a bowl of rice and pour me some soup. And I would have like, I don't know, seaweed soup, rice, and like a little bit of protein. And then I would wait for someone to come home for like the midday meal and like chat with them. And I would, sometimes I would study some Korean. Sometimes I would like, I had some music I was writing Mm -hmm. and my, my mom has like a piano in her apartment, but it was, it was just a quiet life of just living with my family. Like that was the weird part. Not all of the sightseeing, not all of like the trips, the weird part was yeah. just becoming a fixture in like their house wow. again. And after I left that one, yeah. that hurt really that bad. That trip, you mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. My birth mother, yeah, my birth mother even said that for days after I left, she was like, I just keep expecting to like see mm-hmm. you on the couch or like sitting at the table. And like, it was very surreal just leaving a. Yeah. This yeah, is what it would have been like, I, I guess. That really is just sitting with me and going back to the the whole idea of of reclaiming your identity as we've both touched on you know i feel like i mean obviously it sounds just like a completely healing and wholesome outcome for you when when and if adoptees do this it's usually when we're confronted by something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what i've that's what i've noticed at least is that something prompts it into action because at least for me, I was not only exactly adamant against yes. doing anything related to my adoption yes. or even, even wanting to be interested in Korea. But until I was confronted yeah. with something, I was afraid. And for me, uh, that was uh, actually being at Peabody. Peabody wow. is like 60% okay. Korean. I didn't know that. So I had never yeah. been like faced by Koreans before. And I just kind of started getting more curious about it. And it started just from a general curiosity about Korea and like being Korean. And then eventually made me realize I am at least curious about this. And maybe I need to reevaluate mm-hmm. being an adoptee and like what that means, what that means for me. And I will just say it has not been without challenge. Like that was actually a really hard thing for me to grapple with. As I said, like, you know, every time Mm -hmm. I came, every time I come back from Korea, I'm just sad. Right. But that in itself felt kind of weird because I was like, wait a minute, I've, I've got a good story. I have one of the better outcomes here. Why should I be sad about this? This is, Shouldn't this be a joyful thing? And, you know, I actually have had to go to a fair amount of therapy to just kind of like process this. My therapist did something very interesting, which was it's not that simple. It's not just joyful and it's not just sad. It can be both. And that's my 
biggest kind of takeaway from this was that for all of the joy that this has brought into my life, it has come with a very equal and very painful amount of real sadness yeah. and honestly grieving. That's the word I brought up earlier. And it's the word that yeah. I kind of stick to when I'm talking about this because yes, it is very joyful to know that I have a big, happy, loving family, but now I constantly grieve. Yes. Oh, wow. What a powerful realization. And you are totally right. Like, as you were saying, as you were saying it, you know, usually this kind of feeling of sort of rediscovery tends to happen when you're faced with something. That's exactly right. I wasn't necessarily confronted so mm -hmm. much by the whiteness yes, right. as I was the Koreanness. Because like at, at Peabody, I was one of my coworkers and I love the guy. It was very funny, but I was working side by side with this nice Korean guy and I did something and he just kind of laughed and shook his head. And he goes, Matt, sometimes you yes. are more white than my white friends. <laughs> and I was like, I laughed, I thought it was funny. But, you know, after enough time of being around Korean people and right. being like, why do they know I'm American? How do yeah. they know I'm how do they know I'm American? I was forced to confront my own yeah. non-Koreanness and really evaluate, well, yeah. where was I coming from with that and why? Because of course, just like you, I, yeah. I tried to be as white as possible. Mm -hmm. That was the only way I could like survive yeah. high school. Wow, that is yeah, that's so that resonates so much with me. You just you just keep keep going with it because that happened to me recently and I was like, New York. And they're like, Yeah, but uh like where? And I'm like, Oh, Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I literally was having this conversation with a different girl who I was talking to for this project, and we both were commiserating about how, you know, we feel pressure from no one ultimately but ourselves to kind of and say, you know, oh, yeah, I'm from New Jersey, yep. but I'm adopted from China. So blah, 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 blah. And, you know, like I asked her, I was like, why do you think we feel the need to put that like but statement, that addendum on what otherwise would be a perfectly acceptable answer to this person's question? I was like, like listen, I think we both <laughs> maybe need to practice kind of resisting that pressure. And as you said, like get comfortable yeah. just saying, oh, yeah, I'm New Jersey. And if the other person is really meaning to ask something different, then it's on them to be able to articulate that question in a respectable and, and kind way. Because curiosity is, yep. I think, one of the greatest allies that we as adopted people have in this sort of, or at least in my newly discovered quest to kind of normalize or redefine how we think about adoption. And I say we both as the adoptees and those who are not who love us and know us. And like, you right. know, just to really kind of gently force those who would be uncomfortable perhaps saying, you know, there's something about you that is different. And I would love 
you know, for you to explain to me your background or, you know, I am sensing that there is cult, there's like influence of, of more than one culture, you know, where does that come from? And, you know, I think people are just worried that it would be offensive or something. But when people ask me and take the time to really like go beyond just the, oh, where are you from? Like, and then kind of give me this, there's this awkward pause. I always just so appreciate it. And <laughs> I feel like I'm not alone in thinking that it's only a positive experience for me to be able to really share and express, you know, my background and why I uh, do come off as so American, but don't look it. I always find that it's a positive experience for both people. It just is rare. Yeah, exactly. One of the powerful things that I think that we are especially well poised to do as adoptees is that we can really mm -hmm. approach these like kind of teaching moments where we, I think, generally are more aware and more nuanced when it comes to talking about the complicated subject of like race yeah. and mm -hmm. racial identity, right? It's like we may at times. You know, of course, it could be exhausting, but adoptees are probably very well poised to tackle like how to foster like a good, healthy communication about like you know, how yes. would you like to talk about your race? How would I like to yeah, talk about that mine? That is so well put. And then I guess maybe we can end on uh, what I'm doing. Yes, of so, course. Yes, my research for my doctor has, of course, been about Korean music, but it's actually culminating potentially a year from now with a Fulbright grant to do a project oh, about wow. Korean adoption. So I just actually finished applying for it. It just passed a couple of days ago, got all my stuff in and submitted. Hopefully, I can get this put together. But if I do, I'll be going to Korea to study Korean traditional folk opera and write a new kind of fusion work that is about adoptee voices and also the voices around adoption like birth mothers and i'll be going to korea interviewing adoptees who are living there doing some remote interviews collecting quotes finding writing and making this this thing that's all about adoption so that koreans in korea can learn more about this kind of dark chapter of Korean American history. Oh my God. Well, first of all, congratulations. That is <laughs> no small feat. Oh my God. Thanks. Wow. That must, I'll, be, I'll be finding out in like March. So it's a big waiting game now. Yeah. Oh my God. But just to have everything submitted and in and. Yeah, know, that took a while. Like, <laughs> I am sure that is such a huge accomplishment. And I have no doubt. I mean, this, your project sounds so interesting and just like a perfect mix of I mean I've only been talking to you for like two hours but a perfect mix of your story and what you're passionate about and what you're good at which is you know composition so that is so so cool oh my god thank you so much for talking this was so so nice and what a cool story to, I'm like so grateful that you shared it with me. Of course. And that I will be able to kind of, you know, carry it on. And Of course. Yeah. I'm more than happy to, 
you know, get a chance to talk about these things whenever I can. And it was yeah. really awesome hearing your side of things too. I don't want to keep you anymore, so I'm going to let you go. But again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Of course. It was a pleasure talking and take care. Thanks, Matt. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. That is a wrap on my conversation with Matt. As I said, his adoption story I found really, really fascinating. I hope you did too. I hope it was insightful and inspiring maybe if you're adopted and considering starting the search for your own birth relatives. I know that oftentimes in the media, it's the crazy bad stories that get put out there. And it's really nice to know that it can totally happen the other way. And essentially, you know, as Matt said, have a happy ending and be one of the good ones. Even if you're not adopted, I feel like it's something people might wonder about. The idea of, you know, finding your your long lost family. And this is just one window into what that whole experience and journey can be like. Thanks again so much to Matt for being willing and and wanting to share this very personal experience of his life. It was really, really cool to just hear the whole thing. And in some ways, I feel like vicariously experience it through listening to his story. So it was just totally awesome. My question for the week is sort of a continuation from my Warby Parker ad slot earlier in the episode. If you had to sacrifice either your sight or your hearing, which one would you choose to keep and which one would you choose to sacrifice and why? I am really, I'm not sure about my answer, but ironically, even though I just finished giving you this whole spiel about how cool my glasses are and how I'm such a regular glasses wearer, I think I would choose to save my hearing actually and give up my sight because I don't know, I feel like hearing, you can kind of imagine visually what it would look like, but I think I'd have more difficulty doing it the other way where I could like see but not hear anything. I think it would be harder for me to envision what people were saying or what things sounded like as opposed to what something looked like if I could only hear it. As I say, every episode, there will be an Instagram post where you should leave your answers to the question in the comments below. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.